It's time for Supply Chain Now. Broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome back to today's show. Joining me as my on one side is Greg White, who always is uh, uh, an endearing and enduring co-host here on the show. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm pretty excited about this show. I'm not giving her up yet. <laughs> Please I'm don't. I'm excited about this show. Uh, so this show continues our Supply Chain City series where we focus on a lot of organizations that have roots right here in Metro Atlanta but are making a really a global impact. And, and we've got an out, outstanding uh, story here to share along those lines here today as we look to increase your supply chain IQ. Now, real quick, before we do introduce our featured guest here today, let's also welcome in Cynthia Curry, Director Smart Cities Ecosystem Expansion with the Metro Atlanta Chamber, who's also uh, one of our co-hosts here on today's show. Cynthia, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, we've got a great story. Let's go ahead and introduce our featured guest, uh, Jasmine Crow, founder and CEO at Gooder. Jasmine, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you, your ears must be, have been burning uh, from a lot of different places, but certainly here uh, on the Supply Chain City series that we've been doing in conjunction with the Metro Chamber. What a shining example of making things happen and, and, and really meeting a need uh, with real tangible uh, support and leadership and, and resources. So look forward to diving in. Like We've stolen your quote. We've said it a thousand times. So would it be okay if we asked you to say it so we can hear it from right from you? Absolutely. So at Gitter, we believe that hunger is not an issue of scarcity. It's a matter of logistics. Mm. Mm, well put. <laughs> Love well it. Put. And we're so learn. much better coming from her than us. <laughs> we're going to get the story behind that here momentarily. Yes. But before we do, Jasmine, we'd love to learn more about you, you know, where you're from and, and give us a story or two, you know, from your upbringing. Yeah, um, I'm a military brat. So my father served in the Air Force for over 20 years. I was born in Texas and pretty much lived uh, I would say in almost every military base throughout Texas, but grew up mostly in the Southwest. So um, lived in Phoenix, Arizona, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then when my dad retired, we moved to North Carolina, uh, which was the first place I ever went to school for start to finish. So I went to high school wow. at the same high school for four years, uh, which was something that my parents did, you know, specifically for me uh, to allow me to have some sense of a normal life, if you will. Um, I ended up going to college in North Carolina, uh, went to Phoenix again to obtain my master's degree. I lived in Phoenix for about six years and moved to Atlanta in 2013. And I've been here ever since and absolutely love it. Um, I would say, you know, I was a gymnast when I was a younger kid. Um, wow. I always have been very, um, I guess, attuned to what was going on in society and, and really always wanted to see how I could help. Um, and so from as young as I can remember, you know, young 15, 16, I uh, worked at a program called Hands on Charlotte uh, when I thought I wanted to be a teacher and would put on just different events for kids and really was always involved in community. And so I think I am really right at home with what I'm doing at Gooder. It brings me a lot of joy and I'm just really blessed and honored to be doing something that I love. 
Mm. Well, I bet you are serving as a teacher in, in, in a lot of different ways here with what you're doing. And I also bet it's very helpful to have a background in gymnastics to navigate through yeah. 2020. Holy cow. Uh, um, hey, quick question. 2013, you came to Atlanta. What, what brought you in particular to Atlanta? You know, just my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I think um, I had read that for, especially for black entrepreneurs, Atlanta was the place to be. Um, my sister was attending Spelman College and my dad was, for whatever reason, afraid that she was in Atlanta by herself. And so <laughs> kind of convinced me, he was like, you should go to Atlanta and, you know, be with your sister. And it wasn't, it didn't take that much convincing, but yeah, I made it out here and, and just really started to try and go after some of these ambitions that I had. Love that. And we're going to hear more about the rest of the story here momentarily. All right, Cynthia, I know we're going to dive more into the on, onto Jasmine's professional journey, right? Absolutely. And um, like I said before, I just love your work and, and what you've done for the community is just so amazing. And especially right now, just so needed. So thank you from all of us to what everything you're doing. So tell us a little bit about your professional journey after school and before you started Gooder and kind of what helped shape your worldview and kind of what led you to um, be inspired to, to start Gooder. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I mean, I had started a company called BCG in 2011, and I was working largely with celebrities, kind of helping them define what I call their giving footprint. How are they going to leave something positive um, in the world? And so I was working with countless, you know, athletes, entertainers, and we would do things like Thanksgiving, you know, turkey giveaways and toy giveaways. And I would say, you know, these, these families that we're giving turkeys to, in November are hungry other times of the year, you know, that there's just not a, I'm only hungry uh, at Thanksgiving. This is, you know, please help me with the turkey. These families really were experiencing great levels of food insecurity. And I think ultimately the clients that I was serving, they were athletes first. They were football players, basketball players, singers, actresses, and that was what they did. And, you know, they of course wanted to give back. I think they had the right intentions, um, but it just wasn't what they were called to do. And so I just decided to start doing some initiatives on my own. Um, so I started actually feeding people and cooking all of this food in my kitchen and going wow. to town Atlanta. Yes. I mean, just thinking about it now. I mean, I haven't done it in maybe about six months. I think I did one last year, last summer, uh, just to kind of was it maybe like in October, I think is the last time I did one. I mean, it just was because it feels good. You know, it feels good to kind of still go out on the streets, still serve. But when I started this in 2013, I was doing it every other week uh, consistently for almost four years. If I could ask real quick, the when, when you do something like that, especially when you're doing it so often, the logistics behind that. So you, you'd bake a, a lot of, or, or cook a lot of food in the kitchen, and then would you box it up and, and go out and find folks? Were they homeless? Were they in shelters? Where, where would that go? Mostly homeless, um, but also I would feed in senior homes. So I started doing a lot of work feeding in senior homes, a lot of affordable living senior housing communities. Uh, but I would put everything in like large steam pans with lids. And then I'd have the racks in the sternos to kind of keep everything warm. And I would drive it downtown. I had, you know, acquired a few tables over the years and tablecloths and we would set it up and then actually you know, allow people to have a choice wow. if they want it, um, and we would box it up for them on site. And then I turned it into an actual restaurant experience where they got to sit down and kind of order off of the menu. And so that's kind of how, I guess, it all started. I love 
where you wrapped up on that answer because there, there's a sense of dignity that that everyone deserves uh, regardless of their state of need regardless of their their lack of food security as you put it and and for you to be able to to offer that in addition to just the the the, the core supplies of what they need food itself that's uh just incredible i mean it, it's so it's in demand it, it it it's something that's not being done especially to that degree that level of consideration so how did you make that transition from cooking in your kitchen and taking that down and feeding the community to establishing gooder and 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 making that your business well you know um i think it was just a it was a calling if you will a video from one of my pop-up restaurants actually went viral on facebook and you know amongst the praise people were saying this is so amazing which restaurants donate the food and the reality was nobody you know i'm cooking the food i'm couponing i'm price matching i'm going down i'm serving it i'm cleaning up my kitchen and so when people were saying who donated it it was kind of like wow like i should maybe get the food donated and that's when i really started looking into um you know really looking into food waste and just mm. kind of googling what do restaurants do with their excess food at the end of the night you know what do they do with their extra food and you know came across hundreds of articles and reports and really just became um quite upset to be honest that so much food was going to waste when i was yeah. really like penny pinching uh to feed you know three to five hundred people every two weeks and and thinking that that was wrong because uh, i knew that too many people were going hungry for food to be going to waste yeah and that's sort of the travesty behind the whole thing and you've talked about some of those numbers before so as we think about or you tell us about what gooder is and and how you tackle things can you share with us some of those numbers because it's shocking when you when you hear them um so numbers wise you know every year in this country about 40 to 42 million it it varies um experience hunger i think this year you know with what we've seen with uh covid uh, i would imagine that maybe that number looks like 100 million at the end of the year you know who knows what what 2020 is going to look like it's just it's crazy i mean i just read an article today that the next big crisis is evictions and that we see uh, you know people who haven't been able to pay their rent for the past few months um and what happens in these situations is people always make these critical decisions and it's often am i going to pay for my rent or am i going to pay for food and then people are, are choosing between the other and that puts you know children and seniors and just families and people always at risk. So you have on one hand millions of people that are going hungry. This could look like one in six children, um, one in four seniors. And then at the same time, you have 72 billion pounds of perfectly good food that goes to waste. And so that's really the paradigm that we're trying to shift is, you know, why do we have perfectly good food going to waste when people are going hungry? And how can we combat that? It's, it's being done in other countries. Uh, the U.S. is definitely a little behind on what can happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, those are the, the shocking numbers. And it's just, it's devastating to see uh, that that is happening in, in 2020. So how do you get that food from restaurants and other facilities to the people in need? Tell us about, because, you know, using your quote, right, it's a matter of logistics. The food is definitely there. So tell us how you're making that connection happen. So, I mean, Gooder has, I was really inspired by the emergence of the food delivery apps in 2000 and around 16, when I was really first starting to think about Gooder. Um, and my idea was, hey, if a business had the ability via an app to say, I have excess food, 
and request to pick up just as someone like me or you can say, hey, I'm hungry and order food to be picked up, that then we can get that food and then get it over to uh, our network of nonprofits. And, and so essentially that's what we built. Um, our app inventory is everything is that particular business sells. So very much like a Uber Eats or a DoorDash, it has their menu within the platform. And they're able to click on those items, tell us how many they have. And then our platform calculates the weight value, the tax value of those items. And then once they push request pickup, we leverage a network of logistics partners. In some cases, it's our own do-gooders, our drivers. Um, in other cases, it could be right. Postmates, it could be Roadie, um, it could be you know an 18-wheeler <laughs> company, an actual trucker, someone that owns their own truck. Um, we've had that instance on several occasions where we went and cleared out warehouses. Uh, so we'll go and get that food picked up and then we get it delivered to our network of nonprofits. And we typically try and keep the food in a close proximity to where it gets picked up uh, so that that food, you know, travels um, in a good time and food safety is always um, top of mind. That is such an impressive effort. I think, you know, the ability to kind of reverse that back to make sure that what's left over is used you mentioned restaurants. Does do you are you connected also with groceries and convenience and other stores like that, or is it predominantly restaurants right now? It's predominantly large scale enterprises. So it could be corporations. Um, we've done like Google's Holiday Party. We've worked with EY, SAP, uh, many others. Uh, we Turner, uh, well, formerly Turner Warner Media Group was one of our very first customers. Obviously, the Atlanta Airport Convention Centers is another one for us. We definitely have tried to work with grocery stores. I think, you know, we are, we're a new kind of model. I think, uh, you know, food banks and, you know, like Feeding Americas, they've been around since like the 70s. And so they have just kind of this stronghold, um, if you will, on corporations, um, especially in, in the grocery chain. And so we haven't had much mm -hmm. success kind of breaking into the groceries, um, but we're trying to. And I, I think you know, in some years, they will see that this is, this needs to happen because it's crazy um, for every commercial that you hear from your Kroger's to your Walmart's that say, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're ending hunger and we're donating more to food banks and through our partnership with Feeding America on the side, you know, Gooder will receive hundreds of emails from employees that work at all of these same grocery stores that are like, hey, I work at Publix, I work here, and every night we're throwing away food. So it's it's kind of like, really, where does this food go? And I think because there's not a lot of measurement in what's taking place, a lot more food is going to waste. And so where Gooder comes in is we have offer, we offer real transparency. Right. And so, you know, I always tell businesses, you can't manage what you don't measure. And so just donating food sometimes, and yeah, it sounds good, but if, if the true reality is you're composting or you're wasting a lot of food on a daily basis, that is a shame. And a lot of times it's food that needs to be sold by. I mean, I tell people to do this all the time. Go to your local grocery store about usually around 8.45. So if the grocery store closes at 10, you go around 8.45, and there's usually someone in the meat department, and they're putting all of this meat in a cart. And you could go and you're like, what's going on? And you're like, oh, yeah, this has to be pulled. And that meat goes to, to waste. And why that makes me upset is a lot of times that meat says use or sell by, freeze or sell by. It has a freeze or sell by date. And that freeze or sell by date might be, you know, that day. But that food can get frozen. I mean, like my grandmother would freeze everything. I mean, like they would just freeze suffer forever. So that is, you know, that's really what we're dealing with here. I think one of the things that, look, one of the, critical components of your solution is that the economic viability of it. You 
you coordinate also, and, and you kind of went through that at very high level, but you coordinate also how these organizations can get a tax deduction by donating these products as well, right? Because look, let's face it, these are big corporations. As you said, they don't know exactly what's going on in the store and it probably comes all the way down to the department manager or store manager as to whether they comply even with corporate programs. But because the economic component, right, the recapture of dollars is there, that's a strong motivation for companies to get involved. And I think it makes it easier for them to say yes. And that's a significant portion of what you're doing. I think that's a big part of what we're trying to get to is that, you know, there is an opportunity for you to mm -hmm. really save money by, by donating this food. And I think the other thing to, to understand, and one of the things I always try and point out to businesses, is that the reality is they're already paying to throw the food away. And I think that's the thing that they're kind of, you know, when you say that, it's like, oh, you know, are we cheaper than like a waste management or a Republic solid? Probably not, right? So you could definitely throw everything in a dumpster, but the reality is you're spending, you know, thousands, some of these businesses, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars a year on waste. I, I talked to a um, franchisee a few weeks ago uh, who was telling me he was spending 50000 a month. He has 26, 26 restaurants in one of the large airports and 50000 a month on, you know, waste services. So good are coming in at a fraction of that and then getting you money back in tax savings it, it would seem like a no-brainer no uh, but it requires a lot more education so food safety is a big concern and we've all learned from watching tiger king that once once meat comes off the shelf once it goes back to the shelf effectively it has to be thrown away i, I assume that's i can't recall that's some sort of fda reg or or something like that but what how do you how do you reconcile that because I think if if you if you're closing that gap as well all excuses are lost in my opinion yeah I would say you know that's not always true I think there's there's store policies that are in effect but I've been that I mean I have literally um, done something to the the sense of I've purchased something and then maybe my sister's like, oh, I just picked that up from the grocery store too. And then you go back into the store and right away they put like this sticker on it and it has to be thrown away. Now, you know, COVID happening, businesses aren't even accepting returns. So there, there's a lot of it is like store policy, but it's not, it, it shouldn't be that way. I think with what you saw in Tiger King, that is the reality of what happens at every Walmart across this country. You know, there's, I mean, there was a video a few years ago that had went viral and someone, this guy, it was in Oklahoma, he was behind a Walmart and he was filming and there were like baskets and baskets and baskets of meat that had went bad. And some of it is just, again, it's that logistics. I mean, a freezer will go out, we got a call from a Kroger maybe like a month or two ago where their freezer went out one time and then they called us and we were able to get there like within a matter of minutes but so much food went to waste. I mean it was crazy because they were going to just throw it away because their their power had went out. So had we not gotten there within those 30 minutes that we did, everything in those freezers would have went to waste. Wow. And, and we were able to get that to I want to say like 15 senior homes. And I mean, they just got to come down and get food. And it was it was a blessing to see it with my own eyes, how much food went to those families. So I think a lot of it is just, a lot of it is miss. I remember when I was first <laughs> reaching out and trying to get, um, you know, businesses involved, they would say, oh, well, you know, we were sued one time and now we don't donate anymore. And sometimes someone sued us and I would go and look up LexisNexis and try and find the cases. And I, I could never find them, you know, and um 
I think that it just would it would be passed down, and I would say, who like what 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 was the outcome? Did you guys win? Did you lose? Like, right. And then there is the Good Samaritan Act that, in virtue, protects businesses for donating in good faith. Um, but I think what it will ultimately take is you know just more, sadly, like policy changes. I mean, in in France and in Italy, for example, businesses are fined. So on the flip side, like they literally have to pay money if they don't donate their excess groceries to nonprofits. So that is way different than in the U.S. where they don't do it for fear of being sued. In that country, you will be sued and essentially fined up to $10,000 a day. So a lot of money for not donating your excess food. So I think that's just really what it takes. So do you think there are enough protections like the Good Samaritan Act to close that gap? Or do you think there are other things that need to happen or other things you need to do or communicate to these organizations to get that to be more pervasive? Because it seems to make so much sense, doesn't it? I mean, I know it does to you. I'm asking everybody else here, how could it not make sense, right? Yeah, I think that there there are a lot of gaps. I mean, and that's, you know, that's just sadly the reality of it. We do have to do a lot of education. Sometimes just us talking to a customer, we have to go through five or six different, the facilities team may want to do it, then we got to talk to legal, then we got to talk to finance, and we got to talk to, you know, so many different people um, to get get it through. So it does require a lot more, I think, in policy. I think we're, you know, we're getting to the point where we've got to have some kind of policy shift. To really make uh, sorry, Scott, happen. I had so many questions. <laughs> All right, so I've been itching to dive in here. Cynthia, no, no, no. No, it's good stuff. This is We're all probably itching to get in here. And, Cynthia, I want to uh, get your take real quick on, on Metro Atlanta's uh, kind of landscape here that helps provide background to drive some of these things. But, Jasmine, the you know, just hearing you describe what you're doing and how it works and, and just the, 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 the value, the, the immense value prop, I mean, how targeted it is, how transparent it is, how next generation. You, know, you mentioned some of the groups, that, the good groups, to be fair, that are out there doing the good thing, and, and they have noble efforts, but there's a ton of waste. Just like in supply chain in the for-profit world, there's groups doing good business, but there's a ton of waste. There's always a better way. And to hear, and, and what I love in particular about your story is that you love doing it on your own, and then you sat down and said there is a better way that we can leverage more technology and and turn things on its ear and make it be a force multiplier to, to help so many more people. And that's what you're doing. And that's the beauty of, of disruptive leaders and disruptive organizations that is good or so. I, I mean, this is a fascinating story. I wish I knew about this way back when, when Greg was, was singing your praises. I mean, I think what you said, Scott, makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, anytime I speak, I always, you know, I always love to call out that everybody that's working on hunger or food waste, I mean, commendable efforts. There's no doubt about it. I respect everybody that's, that's working on, you know, but what I, I always want to say is that people are still going hungry. And so there's one thing to work on it. There's another thing to solve it. And really where Gooder wants to stand is we want to solve it. You know, we would love to be able to say, hey, we're no longer in business because, you know, 20 years ago, we solved hunger in this country. And now, you know, we just get to sit around and make sure that everybody's ate. You know, and that's what we're trying to get to, you know, the difference between are we pacifying something or are we really getting to the solve? And if your company, you know, it doesn't matter how many food donations you make, if you're still wasting a lot of food, you're really part of the problem. And I think that's where we have, we have to get to um, 
seeing, you know, why does that happen? Why do we walk into grocery stores and see all those rotisserie chickens that get made every day at the end of the night that just go to waste? And I mean, that's the stuff I, you know, I, I, I wish I could show so many messages and emails. I mean, we've received tons of people because I think that will hear their story. They could have heard me speak somewhere and they'll say, I was at Publix and at the end of the, you know, they were clearing out the deli counter and I'm watching them throw away all this chicken. And I'm like screaming like, what? Oh my God, this, you know, because that chicken could feed, you know, a hundred families and it's good food. And that's the thing. Some food is just, it's too good to go to waste and yet it still does. And so I think what, what America has to do is just be open to new solutions and not so closed off. Just, you know, sometimes if it's one company that'll try it, others will follow. We got to be honest that there's a huge opportunity and what we're doing is not good enough. What we've been doing for years is not good enough. So, um, so much there, Jasmine. Okay. So Cynthia, I want to get you to weigh back in here. Before we go back to Jasmine, I know you've got a question or two for her. Cynthia, speak to, if you would, how Metro Atlanta and how, and, and, and some of the specific dynamics here help fuel powerful ventures like Gooder. I mean, what, what, what's your take here? What's some of the secret sauce here in Metro Atlanta? Yeah, first of all, excuse my dogs back barking in the background right when I come up, but this is the land, the world that we're living in now. Okay. Um, I think there's so many things about Atlanta that help really thrive, help entrepreneurs thrive. One of the main things, I mean, Jasmine mentioned it, it's why she moved here, is we have huge diversity, and we're such a diverse community, um, so that's a huge, huge strength. We have lots of talent, and they're all diverse across all kinds of different industries and strengths. And then our industries that make the city strong are diverse. So we're not dependent on one specific vertical that's really strong. And if that fails, you know, the, the, the city is really at, at risk. Um, we've got so many different verticals that are so strong in Atlanta. And so that diversity is also a huge strength. Um, another one that I have, I really think is a huge strength of Atlanta, again, Jasmine mentioned this, is collaboration. Atlanta is, we, we call it coopetition, right? I mean, Atlanta is a collaborator and we collaborate on, you know, business issues, social issues, things that really matter. Um, and I think we see a lot of the civic community and the business community and the, um, you know, citizens really all collaborate together to solve problems and really do things. It sounds like, you know, you've got some collaborations that you mentioned that Rody does some of your deliveries. I mean, things like that. Companies work a lot together in Atlanta, and I think that's a really huge plus and, and one of our big strengths. And from what I hear, it's pretty rare. Um, not every city really has an environment like that. We actually just launched the uh, Atlanta Restore Fund. Um, that's a product of collaboration with CareSource. We launched it Monday. Um, and that is a fund that's going out to black business owners who've been affected by COVID-19. So we're offering grants in the range of $5,000 to $10,000. Um, to help them kind of get through these rough times. Applications opened on Monday. They'll close on the 22nd of June. So, and that wouldn't be possible without the collaboration from CareSource. So I think collaboration and diversity are two of the really biggest strengths that Atlanta brings to the table. No, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, at least from what we've seen. Hey, real quick, Jasmine, do you find, I know Cynthia wants to ask about the more of a global, kind of a broader question. Real quick, do you find in some of the companies you're working with that, you know, supply chain tech, startup, the early stage companies, do you find them to be more open to partnering to a group that's driving, you know, change, doing the right thing, uh, the CSR, you know, the, the, 
that are on a mission to give back. Do you find more of uh, more openness in that leadership? I will say, you know, via um, COVID, we've had a lot of fam, a lot of that CSR kind of outreach. You know, beforehand, no, but you know, when we kind of made our pivot to say, hey, listen, businesses are going to close, but people still have got to eat. Let's figure out how Gritter can use our logistics system and what we've built to now get food to people. We did have a lot of the, the CSR teams from different corporates kind of reaching out and saying, how can I help? What can I do? So I will give them that as it related to like the food waste and, you know, the hunger piece before coronavirus. No, <laughs> we just didn't, we didn't have any. I could honestly say that none of our uh, customers to date came from that corporate social responsibility arm. And thanks for sharing the acronym. I, I'm bad about using the acronym and not mentioning, you know, so for a few folks in our audience, what that means. Okay, so Cynthia, let's go broader here with this next question. Yeah, I mean, we've seen such craziness happening in the supply chain, and you alluded to a lot of it, so much food waste just as a result of, you know, logistics not being able to get the food where, where you need it. So kind of looking at the global supply chain world and, and kind of what it looks like now and what you think it'll look like moving forward, what, what are you tracking? What kind of trends and topics and issues do you think are important that you think we should keep kind of our pulse on and, and that we should address to maybe make it more efficient or better? I mean, well, obviously, I got to say that I'm, I'm tracking food shortages and, you know, you see those stories that are like, hey, beef and pork is going to be going up. And, and I see it. You know, I'm in the grocery stores. We're, we're really buying for families. So I see that, you know, where ground beef used to be like $3 a pound, maybe now it's $7 a pound. And so why that is a big issue is because at the same time prices are going up, people are struggling. And so now it's going to be more expensive to make spaghetti for your family. That matters. So I'm definitely looking at like supply chain shortages. Uh, we talked to a lot of distributors. I was speaking to Hormel this morning, um, who's been a great partner getter in the past. And they, they even said to me, like, we have so many supply chain issues with a lot of our SKUs. We can't even get them out for customers, people who've been ordering from us for 20 years. Uh, we're not able to even supply them with a lot of these different SKUs. And so that is something that I'm definitely tracking because that affects everybody. And it affects a lot of people in ways that they just wouldn't understand. You know, the price of bacon has doubled. Uh, just everything within the last four months. So just understanding what that looks like and, and what that could mean if we go into, you know, a deeper recession for the things that a family used to always think, you know, think of everything that is an affordable meal that could be made with ground beef. And now the price of that has doubled. So, you know, your taco Tuesdays, your spaghettis, everything like that, that families can really kind of depend on is now going to cost more. And so that's one of the things I'm really tracking and trying to figure out when these shortages will kind of cease, um, what's going to happen, and really how can we be doing better uh, to ensure, you know, the safety of workers, obviously, in a lot of these factories, but then also, you know, what does that look like for, for people? You think technology can play into that? I mean, you're such a prime example of using technology for, for good and, you know, using it to solve those kind of problems. Yeah, I, I believe technology can do a lot of great things. I think, you know, when I've been, from what I've been tracking and reading, a lot of the things with these factories that have to close is because how they how their work conditions are and they work so closely together. Um, you know, you're packing things and you're kind of like on these assembly lines. So there could be a way that technology could could affect that. But then at the, on the other hand, I'm also one of those people that is very clear in saying I don't want technology to take away jobs from everybody. You know, there's a lot of people who make their living 
uh, working in factories. And so, you know, you get, you take away a factory job and replace it with technology. Now you have more people that are going hungry. So I think that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a catch for sure. As we start to wrap up this segment and, and we're going to have to bring you back because this is such a bigger story than just the hour we, we, we're, we're going through here. Jasmine, I didn't have this uh, on some of the, on some of the territory we're going to cover here with you, but this is such an outstanding case study in, in, in hammer meat nail in action-based leadership. I'd love to get, you know, from a leadership standpoint, from a, how you've been able to make this happen and get to this point. If you're speaking to other business leaders or startup leaders or folks that, that are trying to solve a problem and they, they haven't begun to crack the code, what would be a, a thing or two that you'd share with, with these other folks that are, are struggling to get traction? Yeah, I mean, one thing I always say is, you know, keep it going, keep at it, because it took me a long time to get traction. I mean, it took me over a year and a half almost just to even build the first version of the technology. You know, I was talking about it. I did a TED Talk on it. I mean, but it, that whole time I was still trying to raise the money, raise price capital, essentially, is how I had to get that, get the first money. And I didn't have family. I didn't have friends that would, you know, pitch in. I had to failed Kickstarter, you know, everything was really against me, but I continued to go. And I think, you know, traction won't come unless you continue to, to put, you know, feet on the pavement and, and you have to have traction yourself. Uh, so that's the biggest thing that I would say. And then I also, also would say, just look for the one kind of cheerleader. If you can't, you know, if there's one person within a company, learn everything it is about that cheerleader, that kind of person that you're in roads so that you could really replicate that same cell, if you will, with every corporation. So if, for me, if that's a sustainability person, if that's a facilities person, when you're doing that customer discovery, why do you like good or why do you like this product? What is it that, that you enjoy about it? And that's what you're able to then use as your selling points as you start to really try and gain traction with other customers. I think those are the things that you got to find your friends. <laughs> and there's not a ton of them, but the ones that you do find, learn as much as you can from them, and they're going to really help you shape how you, you sell your business to others. Well put. Greg, I don't th I'm not sure. Maybe I, I was zoned out for a second. I don't think we covered, made sure our listeners knew how they could support Gooder, right? Yeah, I, I've got a, yeah, on a couple of fronts. So I'm really curious, looking at this from a funding and finance standpoint, what do you think is, a couple things, what do you think is, the most important thing either you need to do or needs to happen in the marketplace that gets gooder over the top. And secondly, also, as Scott was saying, how can everyday people become do-gooders, by the way, I love that term, or in some way help your organization? Well, great questions, and thanks, uh, Scott and Greg, for that. I think, you know, the easy answer would be, you know, if policy made this, you know, the right thing to do, that, that's the easy answer, I think, that, uh, to answer your question, Greg, on the what needs to happen. But I think also, you know, people, even the everyday worker, needs to make sure that they're holding the companies that they work for accountable. And, you know, if you're going into a cafeteria when things, you know, get back to normal, what our new normal will be, or if you're shopping at a grocery store, and if you say, hey, I don't like that you guys waste food, if it becomes something that we as everyday people start to kind of enamor on the people that we are supporting, the grocery stores, the restaurants, 
then the restaurants, they don't want to lose our business. They want to have us continue to shop there at the grocery store. So we've got to really voice up and say, hey, my neighbors are going hungry. It's fine for me to donate at the grocery, at the register, right? How many times have we all been asked to pitch in for some food feeding organization or, or another? And a lot of times I just would encourage people to turn that back onto the grocery store and say, listen, are you guys, you know, donating your excess food instead of throwing it away? Because that's a perfect way to solve hunger, um, as opposed to just my food donate, my donation to buy food. Because, uh, you know, we're, we're, what's the point of just buying and buying more food when perfectly good food is going to waste? So I think that's the one thing that we can all do and kind of influence decisions. Of course, policy is something. And then, you know, if people want to support Gooder, we still have a COVID relief fund that we're trying to, uh, you know, raise funding to, to feed families. So people can always uh, support us. Uh, that link is, I believe, always on our social media. We have um, a page. It's gooder.co slash COVID-19 which really speaks to all of the relief work that we're doing, not just in Atlanta, but we've also been to New Orleans, we've been to Los Angeles, we've been to West Palm Beach in Miami, Florida. So we're really trying to take our work to other cities and really just provide food to people. Uh, so anyone can pitch in and support a family or sponsor a pickup for a small business that maybe is clothing, that has excess food to give away, but maybe can't afford to use our service. Someone could pay for their pickup and we will pay our drivers to go and get that food picked up. No matter how much good you think you're doing, you're not doing good enough, do gooder. <laughs> Put that on your shirt. I'm yeah. a, I'm, I want to send a t-shirt to Rodney McMullen at Kroger with that. How can folks connect with you, Jasmine, and also learn more about Gooder? Where, where would you send folks? Yeah, I would send first to our website. It's Gooder, G-O-O-D-R.co. Uh, so visit our website, and then you can connect with me. I'm Jasmine Crow on everything, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, and then we're Gooder Co. across social media as well. What, uh, what a great story. I uh, really appreciate your approach here, what you're doing, not just action-based leadership, but next generation. I mean, leveraging the technology and just finding a better way, relentlessly finding a better way. So thanks so much, Jasmine. Um, really have enjoyed this session and all the best moving forward. Jasmine Crow, founder and CEO at Gooder. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Cynthia. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Cynthia, too. All right. And big thanks to Greg White, as always, and Cynthia Curry with uh, Cynthia, of course, with the Metro Atlanta Chamber as part of as our partners in this uh, Supply Chain City series here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, quick note before we wrap up here today, check out our uh, we've got a special event coming up uh, via Supply Chain Now, July 15th, which is an, a global webinar, which is focused on facilitating a tough discussion, you know, the state of race and industry as we look to bring a a great panel with insights and perspective along with our global audience is going to share their insights and experiences. And, you know, if we're not talking about things, we're certainly not addressing them. So we invite you to check that out. You can find that as well as a wide variety of other resources at supplychainnowradio.com. Hey, on behalf of our entire team and our extended team with Cynthia and Ben Harris, the Metro Atlanta Chamber, on behalf of our outstanding guests here today, be sure to check out Gooder, G-O-O-D-R.co. Uh, and find out how you can plug in and help this effort. On behalf of our entire team, Scott Luton wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Do gooder. Do gooder.